Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters To Go. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. I'm Leanne Dolan here in Pasadena, California. I want to welcome you to another one of our Satellite Sisters Word Write Author Conversations. All summer long, we've been talking to great, fascinating authors about their work, everyone from Matthew Quick to Daniel Silva to Elaine Gage to Elisa Friedman. And today we have debut novelist Elizabeth Egan on the show. She spent a long time in the book biz, both as an editor and now the books editor at Glamour Magazine. But this is her first novel novel. And I think the themes of the sandwich generation, of being a working parent, of caring for your aging parents, of dealing with your babysitter, of having a marriage that's in flux, I think the themes of A Window Open will really uh, resonate with a lot of listeners today. I know I felt like I was on every page of that book. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation with Elizabeth Egan. If you want more information about Satellite Sisters or any of the author conversations I just mentioned, you can go to SatelliteSisters.com. We have lots of links there for hundreds of podcasts. If this is your first time listening to Satellite Sisters, we welcome you. We do author interviews. We do a twice-a-week podcast that you can find at SatelliteSisters.com or iTunes or Stitcher or a variety of listening spots all over the web. We're happy to have you. And up next, my conversation with Elizabeth Egan. A window opens. I'm Leanne Dolan with Satellite Sisters. We're back with one of our Satellite Sister Word Write interviews. It's really my pleasure today to talk to a debut novelist, but she has tons of experience in the book world, Elizabeth Egan. Her new book is called A Window Opens. And I have to say, I related to this book on almost every single page. Uh, it's a tale of a working mom who has to take a new job when her husband uh, quits his old job. She's caught up in sort of that sandwich generation of caring for older parents and young kids. And uh, she, like me, the main character, sobbed on the front porch when her babysitter quit. So I totally understood everything in A Window Opens, and it's my pleasure to talk to Elizabeth Egan today. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to Satellite Sisters. Hi, Leanne. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here today. Yeah, this is your first book. Like, are you super psyched that it's come out? Yes. I'm a little (laughs) bit overwhelmed. It is really a dream come true. I I never thought I would see this day, Um, but I'm so incredibly happy. Your day job, you're actually the books editor for Glamour Magazine. How long have you been working in the magazine business and writing about books? I have been at Glamour uh, uh, for two years. And then before that, I was the books editor at Self for seven years. And I've always worked in the publishing industry when I haven't been working at a magazine. I've worked for book publishers. I worked for one year uh, as a books editor, editing full-length books at Amazon. And then I came back to my magazine roots because I think that's where I flourish the most. 
Did it make it more intimidating for you to start a novel or less intimidating? All your knowledge, all your reading, you know, your understanding of the business, about what books sold and didn't sell, was that, does that, what delayed you from starting a book or what empowered you from starting a book? I think my experience working at Amazon and editing other people's books and realizing the editorial process is quite long and there's a lot of room for revision and back and forth and realizing that most of the authors I worked with had other jobs and managed to fit in the time to write a book. In terms of actually starting it, I would say that my experience as the recipient of conservatively 25 to 30, sometimes 50 books every day in my job at Glamour. <laughs> oh my gosh. It made it a little bit harder because yeah. I suddenly realized that all of the books that I had passed off, you know, kind of offhandedly and said, oh, it's not really for me, or I don't like the cover, or I don't like the font, or the paper it's printed on, I don't like the author photo. Suddenly I realized that all those books were somebody's life dream, like I'm, like this is for me, and you know, really karma kind of comes back at you in that moment. So it was humbling. <laughs> I would say it was really, really humbling to sit down the very first day with a blank screen and set and think, wow, this is <laughs> all those people. It's sort of like when you're having a baby and you look around and you at the people around you and you, you think, all these people have been born before. <laughs> and suddenly you're trying to do it yourself and it's a lot harder. Would you like to issue a public apology now or yes, authors you have would. rejected based on author photos? <laughs> All of those books that landed on the giveaway table itself alongside the leftover fruit from photo shoots, I apologize. Um, I, have, I used to be a very quick decision maker when I was opening my mail. I sorted the books into yes and no. And now I have yes, no, maybe send to this friend read on vacation. I have, I have so many different piles. It's I'm nowhere near as efficient as I used to be because I have a lot more empathy, which is probably a good thing. Did you take a class to sort of write the fiction? How did you actually sit down? Cause it's, a, are you a working mom as well? Do you have kids? Yes. And okay. I have, I have three kids and no, I didn't take a class. The last time I wrote fiction, I was a senior in college and that was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So when I sat down to write this book, I had never written, you know, in 20 years, I hadn't written anything longer than 3000 words. And I also happened to be writing it at my daughter's swim team practice. She t does this early morning swim team in the summers from 6 to 8 a.m. At, uh -huh. at a pool just far enough away from our house that it doesn't make sense to drive back home. And I sat at a, on a bench at the deep end and corny as it sounds, I literally just dove in and I thought, <laughs> I'm going to see where this goes. And I kind of, a friend had said, write 75 pages, don't read it over call me when you've written 75 pages. He, this is a friend who had written a book. And I called him after I had written the 75 pages. And I said, I, I'm done. I wrote the 75 pages. Can I send it to you? And he said, no, now you're a writer. Keep writing. So oh, that's a good story. I know. It, it had a happy ending, but it could have gone very differently. Now the book is very, it sounds like it's very personal. And again, because I think you nail a lot of the realities. There's, you know, a storyline of the, of the marriage, a husband, uh, 
kind of stupidly quits slash gets fired from his job. And so all of a sudden his wife becomes the primary breadwinner. There are kids at home and there's a lot of juggling there. There's a commute. You, The main character takes a job at a cool, hip tech company that she thinks is going to be the answer to her prayers. Uh, and it turns out to be none of those things. It's kind of a bait and switch work situation when she gets in. And then there's a, just a very personal, very moving storyline about caring uh, for parents who are sick in the middle of, you know, a classic sandwich generation um, situation. How much of that was your life? It's an obvious question, but I think you just, everything rings so true in the book, even the torture of commuting, you know, when you have young kids (laughs) at home, that's the longest hour of the day is that day when you're sitting in traffic or sitting on a train. And that's the hour that makes you crazy, not the 10 before then. So how much of that was personal or how much of it you just cooked up out of other people's experiences? A lot of it is is very true and near and dear to my heart. Certainly the commute. I live in suburban New Jersey and I commute into, now I commute in uh, downtown. I work in the World Trade Center, but I used to commute into Midtown. Um, and actually the original title for the book was The Round Trip because I really wanted it to have this backdrop of the train because there are so many of us sitting there every day. Um, the, work piece, it, the work piece somewhat shadows my experience working at Amazon, which is obviously a very big okay, and and difficult to navigate, but uh, doesn't exactly track. Thankfully, my experience there, I would say, was quite a bit more positive than Alice's was at Scroll, the company that she works for. The family stuff is is very autobiographical, except for the husband. I like to point this out whenever I talk to anybody (laughs) about my book. Yeah, okay, good. My husband in real life is my biggest stroke of luck and the greatest winner I know. He is not a um, a loose cannon like the dad in the book is, but he the dad in the book was probably more fun to write. Yeah. And definitely the part about the father getting sick and having throat cancer, a recurrence of throat cancer was is very true to my life. Although the timeline is different. In my real life, my father first got sick when I was 25 and he died when I was 30. And in the book, Alice is about to turn 40. Yeah. So in real life, my dad didn't know my kids. Um, he knew, well, he knew two of them, but they were, t- they were, one of them was three months old when he died and the other was two. So um, it was a very interesting to write about, a, a char- to write a character loosely based on my dad because it gave me a chance to see what it would have been like if he had known my kids as real mobile, functional people. Which yeah, I bet that was very emotional. Very emotional, Elizabeth. Yeah. It was, but it was easier than I thought it would be. It was actually really fun. I, I wrote those scenes with the dad and pretty much never went back and revised. They were the only pieces of the book that weren't heavily revised. And they came easily because he's still, you know, he's still very much in my head almost 13 years later, which is kind of a good thing, I guess. It's great. Is your mom still alive? Was she, has she been able to read the book? And that must be a yes. nice tribute to her. I was nervous to her. for She loved it. My, my, my mom and my sister read it simultaneously. And my sister called when she finished and said, I bet mom will love it. It's the, it is the best version of her. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she really liked it. I was nervous because it does yeah. have some parts of our family life that are, are pretty private. And the, the moment that the father 
dies is maybe I'm giving too much away, but you, you pretty much know that he's nothing good is coming of his illness. Um, and it's, it's pretty similar to how it happened in real life. And on the one hand, I felt that that was a possible, possible breach of everybody's privacy. But on the other hand, I thought this is something lots of people yeah. go through and it sticks with you forever. It's yeah. really powerful. Yeah. And I wanted to capture that moment of wanting to be with a parent who's not well and also wanting to be with your your own little kids and wanting to do well at your job. And I think when I was going through that, I thought that the, I thought it would be a very clear choice. Of course you have to be with your, your sick parent that you don't have a lot of time left with. Right. But it actually wasn't that clear that because you never have a moment where you realize exactly what's happening and how much time you, how little time you have it. Um, you, the rest of your life keeps ticking along and you, you still have to buy milk and you still have to tuck your kids in at night and you still have to answer work email. And in some ways those are the, those are the things that keep you going, but in other ways, they're the things that um, take you away from what really matters at that moment. A couple of years ago, I uh, lost both my parents in a year, and um, but I had like a senior in high school who was applying to college, and my other son had like a horrible case of mono, like so sick, and there were days when I had to like leave him wrapped up on the couch and go take my parents to chemotherapy, and I, I, honestly, Elizabeth, I don't even remember those days now. Like I think back, I think I was a crazy person, like... <laughs> How did yes. I even, it was terrible, but it was exactly that. I was leaving all these things and balls up in the air and it was just nuts. And I think um, a window opens really captures that sense of what, what am I doing? What are these crazy choices I have to make? I mean, it really felt like a physical reaction when I was reading the book. Like I totally get this when she's leaving the work meeting to go to the dent doctor's office, you know, getting the phone calls from home about this and that, you know, that, that is not an easy thing to capture because it's so chaotic. And once you've been through it, you're like, how did I even get through it? I don't know. <laughs> You I don't, don't even remember that. People kept saying to me when I was going through that, well, you have your little children will keep you going. And I, I thought, have you spent time with a two-year-old recently? <laughs> they don't keep you going. They, I mean, they do, but you're exhausted. And I wanted to show in, in Alice's character that, you know, the other worlds don't stop. She has several, she has three worlds she's existing in, her office world, her own family and the world of her parents and they all keep spinning and she's kind of jumping from one to the other like many of us are doing and feels completely overwhelmed. And also I hope, I think, has a pretty good sense of humor for the most part and a pretty decent support network in her husband, even though he goes, he's slightly yeah, her husband kind of goes south there. He does not handle his own unemployment and quote starting no. his own business well. I don't I won't I won't give away sort of the key there. But I think you really did capture, you know, what a modern marriage is like. Good years and bad, maybe good decades and bad. Absolutely. Some days you got to step up and some days you got to step out, you know. I mean Certainly. So And I think I also wanted to show the way that at that moment in life your friends are as important to you as they were back in high school or middle school or in any other phase of your life. I used to think that you grow up 
you get a job, you have a family, and it's all about your family. But in my in my case, my friends are my savior in many ways, as much as my husband. And it was important to me as I was writing to show that Alice has this community of, of mothers and college friends and people who are helping her float along through the hard time. I think often in books, we never see the friends. It's either a book about friends or it's a book about family, but it's never about both. Or it's a book about frenemies. You know, that's sort of a popular theme in women's fiction is to kind of go at the women around you. But, But, you know, my experience in real life is like the most unexpected people can step up. And uh, definitely. And the most unexpected people step out. You know, there are people who who just don't know what to do. And then there are people who just show up. And um, I have a very good friend who was living in my neighborhood when my father was very sick. And one day I was getting my hair colored um, and just sitting there in the hair salon. And my friend Claire showed up with coffee and donuts. And she said, I'm just going to sit with you while you have your hair colored. And I thought, that's exactly what I needed at this moment. Yeah. And you know, the people who say, what can I do? How can I help? There are those people, which is great, but then there are the people who just do it. And those are the people that I really remember. And those are the people I tried to put in the book. Now, you've also created a great boss in the book. Uh, Alice goes to work for what she thinks is going to be a fantastic tech job, the job of a lifetime. It's creating the ultimate space for book lovers. And your main character is a real book lover. She's a book editor as well, part-time, but she takes this full-time job because she has to. And then there's a lot of pivoting in, in the mission of the company scroll. And the next thing you know, Alice is not creating a book lover's environment. She's basically reviewing violent video games for kids. But the boss is this woman who is at one you know time inviting them all for Indian food and then the next minute tearing them down in a meeting. How did you create um, the boss? I loved her. She's sort of a, a conglomeration of several bosses, I would say. Thankfully, <laughs> nobody directed that I've really directly worked with. Um, a friend of mine worked for a company in the garment district where she had to, she had a, a similar dynamic with her boss. Um, I, I wanted to, I wanted to capture the feeling of working for somebody who's younger, because I think for many of us, that is something that's happening. We live in a, especially at tech companies, everybody is very young. Um, and it, it just creates this strange disconnect and generation gap. I've never worked for somebody who is as much as young as Genevieve is and in a world as different from mine. But um, I am, a, I live in, in New Jersey. I'm a commuter. At Glamour, I work with plenty of people who are right out of college, living in Brooklyn, very hip. And luckily, they're very nice and I enjoy working with them. But, you know, it's it's a funny thing. You, you're a little, sometimes Sometimes you feel like a little bit of a dinosaur. Uh, and I try to find the humor in that. But there there are moments of, um, you know, where you're like, oh, I'm a mom. I don't, I don't get this. I don't speak this language. 
My sister Liz works with a lot of youngsters, and uh, she's learned in her job. She said recently, never reference the Kennedy assassination because they, got, they <laughs> That's so funny. have no idea what that you're talking about. That is so funny. About. I mean, this is such a sad parallel, but when we moved, when Glamour moved into the World Trade Center, I realized that most of the people that I work with were very young on 9-11, and were nowhere in it it affected them very differently i was living in new york at the time and i to realize that my colleagues were like in grade school then and i was in my 20s was or maybe i'm exaggerating a little bit but it's it's just funny they have very different cultural touchstones and i enjoy learning from them i mean i have a 14 year old daughter and she's sometimes impressed with the pop culture things that i know from working <laughs> with a lot of 25 year olds um, so anything, anything that makes you slightly cooler with your 14 year old is a good thing. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. So how long did it take you to finish a window opens? Because I, we have, I know we have a lot of listeners that listen to these word, write interviews and they're thinking, I, I would like to write a book or they listen for inspiration. And, you know, I'm a writer. And the one question I always get is where do you find the time? And my answer is you make the time. You don't find it. Yes. Gobs of time don't fall down. Uh, no. <laughs> here you go. Unless you get unemployed, which, well, that happened to me. So that, uh, that was a lot of time handed to me unemployment. But, um, where, where did you find well, the that's, how long that is did it how take? It start, that's how it started for oh, me. I okay. left my job at Amazon. And oh, okay. so I was unemployed for one summer. Okay. And I committed to working on a book for this two-hour stint in the morning at swim, at swim team practice. Okay. Okay. And then by the time I started my job at Glamour in September, I, um, I would say I had about 100 pages by then. And I was, a, I was very excited to start the job, but I was so committed to finishing the book that I was worried about how I would find time to do it. And so I decided to just work in 40 minute increments on the train to work in the morning and on the train home from work at night. And my only real rule was when I sat down on the train was just to type anything. And, you know, some days I, it, just wrote total nonsense. And other days I felt a little bit more hopeful, but um, I just really committed to it. And the way that if you're in a great routine with exercise, you might do it five days a week and you just make time for it. I, I tried to approach write, the writing of this book the way at, you know, for one brief shining moment, I committed to spin class five <laughs> days a week. That lasted for like a month, but this lasted, I found I really enjoyed it and it was a lot easier than going to spin class. And, um, I worked on, I would say altogether, it took about a year and, um, it was heartening to realize that you don't, not only do you not have to sit down and write for eight hours a day to write a book. Mm -hmm. It's actually for me, I found it was impossible to sit down and write for eight hours a day. So even during that summer when I wasn't working, after about two hours, your neck really starts to hurt and you're hungry and you lose your train of thought. And I would just give it up and maybe go back after dinner with a glass of wine and reread what I had written and mostly cringe. But I just tried to go easy on myself. And I thought I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. I Oh, you didn't? I I, oh, oh, no, I think. I think that in the acknowledgments, I thanked everybody who knew, except for my high school English teacher, who I also thanked. But I, I've told about maybe 10 friends. And otherwise, I just 
kept it on the QT because I have a habit of starting to knit a blanket, spending $300 on yarn, <laughs> and then not finishing the blanket. So I thought this book might really end up being one of those blankets. Better to keep it to myself. I think, though, that's extraordinary discipline, the 40 minutes on the train, because it's a long work day. You get on the train. It'd be just as easy to open People magazine, you know, or stare at your phone and, uh, you know, Facebook for 40 minutes on your train. So, uh, you know, that that is harder. I I understand how hard that is. What you just described, that is really very disciplined work, even though it was only, you know, 40 minutes here and 40 minutes there. That's a good lesson for people. Thank you. It was, it also just made me realize it's never too late. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm about to turn 40. If I was going to have written a book, I would have done it by now, Mm -hmm. but it was nice to, to realize it's never too late to try something new. And because I had had this experience with my dad who had had his vocal cords removed and wasn't able to speak for those 10 years in between when he died. And when I wrote the book, I spent a lot of time thinking about the gift of a voice. And if, if you have a voice, you should use it. And I felt like I'd always loved writing and I had always wanted to write something longer. And I just finally got so tired of having that little voice in my head telling me to do it. I, so I just did it. It was a relief. Well, you've definitely created a world in a window opens that I think a lot of women listening to this interview and men can relate to that idea of, you know, trying to do it all, not by really your own choice. You know, you got to go to work, you got to raise the kids, you have to deal with your parents, their issues in marriages, you know, your babysitters leave. And, uh, but you elevate it to a really enjoyable level, Elizabeth. I really enjoyed A Window Opens. Uh, so what happens now? Do you go, are you doing a couple of some book signings or are you going to be in the area if we have people listening in the New York, New Jersey area? What, what's on tap next week? Your, yes, well, it comes out I, the next August 25th, right? August 25th. Okay. And then on the, tw- on the 26th, I'm doing a reading at Greenlight Books in Brooklyn. And then in uh, on September 2nd, I'm doing a reading in Montclair, New Jersey. And then later in the month, I'm going out to the West Coast and to Cleveland, where my in-laws live and where some of the book is set. Oh, yeah. And, there is a Cleveland. Um, yeah. Cleveland. Yes. Cleveland. I'm, a, I'm a huge... I'm, <laughs> the biggest booster of Cleveland who has never lived there. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to a whole bunch of places. I'm so excited to stay in a hotel yeah. and that's the, really the whole, that's the goal. The that was me. what uh, 40 and, minutes a day just to get remote, yes. remote control to myself. <laughs> Anything for room service. And then I'm coming back and I'll return to my job at Glamour. I'm taking the month of September off. Oh, how nice. And, Great. Um, yeah. Yes, they've been extremely supportive. And I'm now working on another book, which I hope will come out in about a year and a half. Oh, fantastic. Good for you. I mean, that's what they say. You just got to get right on the next one. You can't wait around. So that's fantastic. Is it, um, can you tell us anything about the next book or are you, are you trying to keep this on the QT as well? I'm not trying to be coy, but it's definitely in its opening stages. I can tell you it is, it's also based in New Jersey and it has a very strong, um, sandwich theme. The owner of, I mean, the, the main character in the book is, um, a deli owner. Her family has owned deli. So literally sandwiches, not the sandwich. Literally sandwiches, not the sandwich generation. I really love sandwiches. I'm really into them and I, and I hate to cook book. So I'm not going to be writing a foodie book, but I thought, what is something I'd like to really spend a lot of time thinking about? (laughs) And I thought, what, you know, I just, 
love sandwiches. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. But it's the story of a friendship. It's not all about sandwiches. Okay. It's the story of a friendship gone wrong. And I think actually kind of a frenemy book. Okay. And, um, so we'll, we'll see. Okay. Hopefully it will, it will go smoothly. And that is a creative process, people. Hmm, what would I like to research more? Sandwiches. Exactly. Excellent. <laughs> Hotel rooms. That's the other thing I thought when I, I thought you had to know when you started a book. I thought you had to know exactly how it would end. And I thought you had to have an outline. And actually I'm finding in the writing of this book, I don't I don't have one hundred percent certainty yeah. about where it's going. And that is really liberating. It's um, it's, it's fun to just be able to let go and create a, an entirely new world. Well, I look forward to the next book. I wish you all the luck in the world with this one. The book is a window opens. It's available, uh, Tuesday, August 25th. There are, I will put lots of links at satellitesisters.com and on our Facebook page to Elizabeth's author page. So if you want to check her out at a signing in the New York and New Jersey or Cleveland area, come on, Cleveland. Uh, she will, she will be there. Elizabeth, thanks for being with us on Satellite Sisters. Enjoy your September. Enjoy Liam, your experience. Thank you. Enjoy it. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. You heard it here, people. 40 minutes a day. That's all it takes. A novel can be yours in a year. Uh, I hope that was inspirational. I enjoyed talking to Elizabeth Egan. The book is A Window Opens. She mentioned her book tour on the West Coast, and I know we have a lot of Satellite Sister listeners in these cities, so I want to draw your attention to the fact that she'll be in San Francisco, September 22nd at Book Passage. She's going to be in Santa Rosa, California at Copperfield. She'll be at Powell's uh, Cedar Hills Crossing in Portland, Oregon on September 23rd, and Elliott Bay Books, of course, in Seattle on September 24th. And then she heads to Cleveland, but uh, that is her schedule thus far on the West Coast. As always, you can find links to everything you need at SatelliteSisters.com. SatelliteSisters.com. Also there, you know, there are links to all the other author interviews we've done this summer in our Satellite Sisters Word Write Festival author interviews. We are wrapping up uh, the Satellite Sister Word Write Festival with none other than Erica Zhang. Right after Labor Day, I'll be talking to Erica Zhang about her new novel, Fear of Dying. And you know what, people? I'm on it. I'm doing a short course in Erica Zhang because I've not even read Fear of Flying. So I can't do that before I talk to Erica Zhang. So I am looking forward to that in early September. Um, Again, everything you need is at SatelliteSisters.com. Thanks to Audible for supporting the Satellite Sisters Word Ride Festival. And we will be back in September with Erica Zhang. Don't forget. Call your satellite sister.